0: the A-Space podcast. We're glad you tuned in today. Uh, today, we'll be talking about craft beer and unionizing the beer industry, why it may be possible, why it may not be possible. Um, We're we'll also talking a little bit about life and also about some views on extremism and non-extremism. If you'd like to listen to the podcast, you can do so on Spotify, Stitcher, the Google Play app, iHeartRadio, and other podcast platforms are coming soon. Uh, we're working on Apple Podcasts. Um, oh, we also have the first podcast up on SoundCloud, too, so if you want to listen there. Questions, comments, or concerns can be uh, emailed to podcast at gmail.com. And you can find us on social media channels at aspace on YouTube. Oh, YouTube, yeah, Twitter and Instagram. If you'd like to donate to the channel, you can do so at MoneySign, A Space Podcast. That's MoneySign, A Space Podcast. Hashtag fuck you, <laughs> Thank you. We're going hot on this. We're already okay. talking about it. Okay. All right. So, so let's say mm-hmm. um, YouTube, we're going to use Mark
1: Blair as an example, but his account has not actually been ghosted. Let's say Mark DeBlyer gets his account ghosted, right? And he he's a state-based creator, right? <clears throat> if they're gonna hold his money in Hawk, right, they and under certain conditions, right? Because this is what they're doing. They're holding it under the condition that you get reapproved, but then they're not responding to your application as a YouTuber to be reapproved after your account has been recovered from the hack. Okay. Uh-huh. if they're not responding that is a violation of their own bylaw saying that we're going to give you your money back as soon as you've been approved but then if they're not responding they're not upholding their end this is where like the moral and ethical spirit of the law comes in versus the letter of the law Markiplier takes them the court goes to a preliminary hearing, shows the judge, look, I've been putting in this application. I've been asking this question. My moderators in my community have been asking this question for their suspended accounts. None of us are getting an answer. YouTube is not doing what they say that they're going to do. They're not even bothering to review the reapplication. Judge goes, okay, you've shown me the evidence. evidence. Is there any contrary evidence? Whatever, YouTube most likely doesn't have it, right? Or Google doesn't have the contrary evidence because there is no, right? A company like that is not going to have a bounce back on their email, right? Judge goes, okay, we're going to discovery. Then they're fucked, but they're going to file motion after motion after motion to to slow down discovery and try to wear you out. I mean, even with 25 million subscribers, you're not getting 25 million bucks a day. No. Right? And even, that, even a dollar a day or a penny a day from everybody on your subscriber list probably wouldn't be able to forge a, a long, drawn-out legal war with YouTube. Definitely not. Or Google. That's like... Like, Google is not going to let YouTube get sued in the state. <clears throat> the UK, they don't really give a shit about because Parliament's already made some bylaws and YouTube's like
0: mm-hmm. content creators was hard so walk back you said what was against YouTube bylaws again so if a company makes a stipulation in their in their process mm-hmm.
1: and then they fail to uphold their end of that process
0: mm-hmm. right you report the security breach oh okay so I know what you, so, okay, you can, okay okay, right and then they right. went okay I'm back there okay so like, I, I know exactly. the
1: account they're like yeah you're verified now mm-hmm. cool so you know I have my account back because right. you verified me but now you won't reapprove my application okay. to the partnership because you want to sit my money in hot and just mm-hmm. collect extra interest
0: okay so I think that's, I think it was, I that's think we, fucking fraud right, I think we should come up with down the road because you probably know this I don't and probably a lot of listeners don't but action item is go in and like do a deep dive and figure out if that actually is against YouTube bylaws because you probably know it is but I don't so I can't argue gotcha. that and but I'm saying that's a general like but good faith definitely
1: good faith acting principle for any general right. con- two way contract like that any right. partnership whether you're so
0: if it isn't or if it isn't right
1: if it isn't that law needs to change
0: right And if it is, then something needs to be done about it. But what I'm saying is that regardless if it is or isn't, it takes these companies a while to get through some requests like that. So I could kind of see why it would take some time and it would go unnoticed. Or We go unchecked because mm-hmm. there's a lot that goes into that type of stuff, right? But I haven't yet looked into this video that you're talking about, and um, this. so what we're gonna do, what we're gonna start doing more often is we have this Slack call that we use to share information. God now, we, Slack. right, we <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you, Slack, shout out, definitely, shout out, you know. <laughs> Plug without the sponsor, but they're pretty <laughs> awesome. Um, we're going to start putting in the description for our podcast all the stuff that we talk about during the podcast. So right now we're going to uh put in the description this video that we're talking about from Project Veritas with this leaked about the um insider um re- exposing the Epstein cover up and kind of what we're talking about hear about YouTube and stuff like that. And uh, we'll, what we're going to do also as an action item is going to come back and we're going to talk about that more in depth so we have more of a hold on, on that type of information. But I felt like since we were here talking about it while the mic wasn't hot, we might as well go hot and get into it and kind of start the podcast off on that note. Um, so uh, like we were just here talking how you doing man so let's talk about our our lives how oh, we've been it's been awesome. crazy yeah it's been really exhausting four or five hours of eBay stuff every day
1: six seven eight hour shifts at the bar oof bro it's like I don't even know I mean tips are <clears throat> tips are good that's always helpful. I get paid above, just above the minimum wage hourly, so like the tips aren't being obliterated, yep. which is good. Anybody out there in the restaurant business who's a manager, get your shit together. Just pay <laughs> $7.25, $7.50 hour, whatever the minimum is for the cost of living in your area. Fuck the minimum. Yeah. But pay whatever the minimum for the cost of living is in your area plus tip, okay? Um,. I mean I'm doing alright I'm on this side of the dirt and I got my family close by there are other things I wish I had progressed more <laughs> by now I mean it's fucking right. November yeah, there are definitely other things I wish I would like put the pavement down on so I could start running but
0: definitely,
1: you know life mm. happens that way sometimes um, moving in a month supposedly. (laughs) Yeah. Um, At this point, I'm not sure if we're going to stay in our private complex because the Mm -hmm. guys that make life work in that complex are getting ready to leave (laughs) and they have not been able to train, because of the workload, they've not been able to train all the new hires, all the inexperienced hires they've been hiring to understand all the tips and tricks for that complex, so. Um once the two senior guys leave, quality of service is gonna take a nosedive there. And that's gonna suck coming in winter.
0: Yeah. So Especially with like an older complex like that, you have yeah. like pipes and stuff. And uh, uh bro. All types of things that people usually deal with. <laughs> yeah.
1: One crazy thing is we basically have a brand new apartment. Like they just replaced the whole A C in it, they just replaced the yeah, thermostat, the gauge. They replaced the hot water here last year. Yeah, but oh man, we still have like crap ass carpet, and it's just not no space. Yeah. So we're we're planning on moving up to a two bedroom. The wife's doing good. She just had a productive week at work. She's her last six weeks have been, like, the most productive out of anybody. So that's been really good, really helpful. And uh, hopefully in the new year, her uh, her job will continue to give her the training that they said that they would be giving her throughout this year that they have not been. And
0: mm.
1: that would be great. Because she's been in this. She's in that, like, funny money phase is what I call it, where, like, They want to give you more responsibility to see if you can handle it, Mm -hmm. but they don't want to necessarily give you the paycheck. Definitely. Or the title, because if they give you a title, then you can bounce and be like, I can get a management position somewhere else, because you guys are dicking me around. So, there's about another 8-month lease on that life. Yeah. Um, And we'll see how that goes, if they don't have this shit shit together for her in 8 months. Um... Then I'm probably gonna be giving her counsel to like move on somewhere else. Let's see what else, man. I mean, taking it one day at a time.
0: Yeah, that's all we can do over here on my side, man. Um, new nine to five. Uh, (laughs) that's crazy. Due to HIPAA, I can't really discuss everything about my job. But um. you, you know, know the about your yeah. personal experiences on the top, right? thats all I'm saying. You should, yeah. But in in my field of work, and especially what I yeah. do right now, it's it's kind of crazy. It's, yeah, yeah. The uh, the laws on that, which beneficial, yes, but um to be able to talk about that type of thing, um and. Bring life experiences from it not so beneficial. Um, other than that, man, just trying to balance the whole family life, all the ambitions, all the planning. When you get to this, I don't know. I don't want to sound preachy. But when you get to the... <laughs> like, I really don't. When you get to this point in life, you hey like... Joey Diaz would <laughs> say, in Sesh, motherfucker. <laughs> right. But when you get to this point in life, you realize like what's important. So like I don't know, time management is important. Make sure like that you're like organizing like your economy of energy well. Mm-hmm. Just like what you can put what energy into and how much because you only have so much.
1: Yeah, I've like, been thinking about that a lot lately,
0: trying to reorganize that. And break habits, I mean, like dude, you can anybody can do anything, but breaking habits a- is the hardest thing once you break a habit and you can replace it with a new one, it's very then you're easy. Not it. your life changes, right no, 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 I'm saying like once you break a habit and then after you break it, you replace it with a new one that's more healthy mm-hmm. it's awesome, like Ooh. your life will change, but breaking that habit is like. The hardest thing sometimes. And then like whatever it is, whether it's and then two cigarettes or Right. Habit or addiction. and what I was about to say is it's harder when your habits an addiction. So like I would say Or or just addictive. I mean
1: Right, exactly you don't have to have an addictive personality or anything like that or be an addict to that specific habit. But if it like if it gives you that super Mm -hmm. cozy warm inside Escape that everybody wants, you know, at the end of the day, you know, like, you know what, I just need to take like an hour or two just to chill,
0: right?
1: And then that hour or two becomes three hours. It's that one more episode,
0: one more episode. That's Netflix, what son? I was about to say with my new life. <laughs> it's like hard to break the habit of playing video games. I'm so serious. Oh, it yeah, does, no, it's raw. Video games are addictive. I go through this cycle online, <laughs> bro. I'm like.
1: Egg, yeah monster man. hunter runescape and there's like a tic-tac-toe cycle and it's like so annoying because some some days i'm like you know what i really did like fucks around too much yeah which is what i was saying i've been thinking about a lot earlier i think i'm just gonna have to start overclocking which sucks Yeah. for those of you who don't know what that means that's a setting you can have built in or Use on your laptop in order to rip out more power from its guts. Um, basically, it's a it's a really poor description of it. But basically, you overclock your computer and it become you make it more productive for like gaming and things like that. I'm taking that principle and thinking about applying it to myself, which really means you you kind of sort of burn the candles at both ends unless you put in certain requirements of yourself and protect those requirements and your obligation to fulfill them to yourself to take care of yourself that way you don't burn out your candle (laughs) um but like since probably like college must like I didn't sleep very much growing up anyways because we always had to get up early and um Once I got to college, like, my sleep schedule just got turned into Swiss cheese. There was no no structure to it, that whole kind of thing. Not not a morning person, never been a morning person, not going to be a morning person. It's a miracle.
0: It's a miracle that I got him. I got him on two hours of sleep. Dude, I got it. Okay, so for those of you that don't know, he doesn't get up out of his bed until like probably 10 a.m. 11 sometimes i text him at like 8 a.m. or 9 a.m. and his wife answers and it's like oh he's sleeping and i'm like yeah of course yeah but i managed to get him out here to record this podcast now, at 6 a.m. in the morning Jill up till three last night <laughs> man yo, it's awesome so we're here in the morning recording and it's so awesome. Oh, I'm being up this early in the year, but it's fabulous.
1: <laughs> it is. I mean, not being up this early, but... Join like, us the watching world. the
0: sunrise. Uh, fuck the sun. <laughs> I mean, I know it's good to vitamin D and all that, but fuck that shit, okay? There was nobody on the road, so... You always there get out of the house without
1: his headlights on the road, <laughs> driving a black
0: car. I'm like, bro. Well, you came over here when there the was ice. light outside, dude. You, nah, the sun had just come over the trees, bro. It was... You asking again. You did ice. not need you did not need those headlights on. He's fine. He's okay. Yeah, that's what everybody thinks. <laughs> Either that or your vision's gone bad. I better. mean
1: I saw him because my vision's fine. <laughs> oh
0: okay. <laughs> but what if his vision ain't fine? <laughs> Obviously, because he doesn't have any headlights on. His vision is probably more perfect than yours. or well, he thinks his vision is fine <laughs> and he just been to the eye doctor.
1: Anyways, we we point as... Pointers. I'm thinking, because I don't get enough sleep, well, I don't get as much sleep as everybody else, so I'm thinking I'm just going to have to start overclocking my my days, starting the next day's stuff done after I get off from the bar late at night, you know, come home, 11, 12. Okay, yeah, we do that. Say goodnight, put the wife to bed, whatever Tucker is. Mm -hmm. And then just take like an hour, I'm like, Twelve to one or one to two, chill out, unwind, rinse the stale beer smell off of me. <laughs> um, like sometimes it's bad, bro. Like sometimes the wife won't even let
0: me come near her. She's like, mm. "Go shower." <laughs> what do y'all do? Sling those beer? <laughs> those well, the pro- well, the problem is like
1: A is craft beer, and B no. if you spill it, right? Like you get in sample cup, so you're yeah. moving a glass, you get bumped, you get tripped, whatever and then there's just like the general like you open up the uh dishwasher and it hasn't been run yet because it's half full cool. and then all that steam that's been um soaking up the beer smell off the glasses just like hits your shirt and shit right and it's just, like in your face you go Whoo.
0: and that is water and that smells and like and that is water it's yeah, just it goes, a gas yeah, it and then it goes to your
1: and then it's like, it gets on your shoes, your pants, you know, mm-hmm. which is fine. I mean, it's all work clothes, right? But then it's like, you just kind of smell like it especially yes. after seven hours of it. Um, and then don't even get me started on if you get the line cleaner sprayed on you. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> jeez, that stuff's gross. It's the line cleaner, What's so the line one? cleaner is a super base, so it's a very yeah. um, low index base. Um, and what we do is we, we clean the lines in between each beer. You yeah. know. Right? That way the beer tastes like it's supposed to, which a lot of places don't actually do, by the way. When you're out drinking, especially yeah. craft taps, ask the bartenders when the last time they cleaned that shit was.
0: A okay, yeah, you're talking about the lines from the keg to the from the
1: keg to the tap And a lot yeah. of people don't clean the lines in between. Let alone the tap heads or the couplers, right? The coupler that hooks up
0: the gas. Oh man, same thing for coffee. Like, Ugh. like I, I, will give it up to Sheets, bro. That's Ooh. why I always get coffee at Sheets because I work there. Every time. That shit's clean. Two times a day, there's this powder that you drop down. Like, there's a stuff Ooh. that you drop down in yeah, where like they cotton. put the coffee ground. Like, yeah, like, yeah. Human stay for humans exactly <laughs> to eat the red No, red no. Red. Well, it's cleaner, so you can't eat it, right? Right, but that's what I'm but saying. But once like, you rinse res- it, it's yeah, fine. Yeah, so the you res- drop it in there. It's not gonna, like, kill exactly. So you drop it in there. You let it run. It cleans out the whole place with all the coffee ground. It cleans out the place of the holes of coffee because you brew like a whole, a whole holder mm-hmm. of like of, of this cleaner, and you let it sit there for yeah. like thirty minutes, yeah. and then you like dump it out and then you rinse it again yeah and that's why i I always go there and coffee tastes amazing so yeah i understand (laughs) you gotta you gotta quality means that you clean and you produce the right way yeah if you produce your beer you produce your coffee the right way but you don't clean your equipment it's gonna taste crap yeah so why do you think when you walk into a circle k the coffee always tastes like crap uh, so never
1: one of the uh, one of the microbrews that everybody is always asking us about is a uh, Red Oak, and people are like, why don't you give, why don't you guys have Red Oak? Da, 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 da. <clears throat> and it's really because they you can get Red Oak by the case. You can get their Bavarian Lager, which is the most common one. When people say, give me a Red Oak on draft. That's the the Bavarian Lager, which is fabulous beer. Um, or the hummingbird when it when it's in season, but they have other stuff. Go figure. They have there's more than two beers to the brewery, um, but they don't they don't distribute anywhere because nobody cleans their line. They're like nobody does it, and mm-hmm. so the the rep finally came in. They just assumed that we didn't. The rep finally came in after five years. The rep finally shows up, and our beer manager's like, "No, we clean everything. I'll show you." I'm like walk told her what we did, walked her through the process, everything, the rep was like, oh, okay, well, I'll go back and uh, let them know, because that's, like, the main reason we don't send stuff anywhere is because we we don't think it's going to taste right, and we're not going to have them, our brand damaged, because right. people are being lazy,
0: which it's is true. true. There is something to be said when you pass by a brewery and you can see the whole operation from the highway. Yeah, bro. <laughs> you
1: know
0: what I'm saying? Right. right. <laughs> but, exactly. Um,
1: but yeah, so they have this really exclusive one that we're trying to get. It is, and so back up one step, they've actually finally agreed to do a tap takeover at our place. Oh, nice! Coming up in two weeks. Okay. I'm so excited for. We're not going to get the super rare one that we want. Yeah. But hopefully, when this tap takeover happens, mm-hmm. I'm going to be putting the word out. We're going to be putting the word out trying okay, to. Okay, get-
0: so you can You can not only. Donate to the podcast, but you can also see him. What? No, we're not gonna because then they're gonna try and hunt you down like the dude that I wouldn't that care was, about that. But
1: the problem that is that
0: was in the bar the other day. The problem is Karen out.
1: wouldn't be giving us no sponsorship money, <laughs> so she ain't gonna get no plug. Okay, mm. that's all I'm saying. You just got to find out. I work for her is. there. if She wants me to do that plug here. You're gonna to have to work with me here, okay?
0: okay. Well, the thing is, you just gotta find out where Red Oak is doing a tap takeover, okay? All awesome. right.
1: Yeah, <laughs> let's find out where Red Oak's doing a tap takeover. Swing in. Don't that would me. help the tips for you, bro.
0: That would. Be. Yeah, it would.
1: Um, I've been I've been training rookies this
0: week, so no, my yeah. tips are gonna take a cut, but that's alright. I don't mind. Don't you love it when the rookies come in? <laughs> We've all been rookies at one point.
1: <laughs> well, they they're really good. Like they take well the training, so that's good. Yeah. But um, anyway, so we're not gonna get the super exclusive one that, are, that me the beer manager really want. But hopefully, if the tap takeover goes well, they'll consider sending us like a six little outfit. Nice, which would be really cool because we'd be the only motherfucking red right oak send shit too, son. Mm, that would um, totally help
0: reputation, wouldn't
1: it? Yeah, but our we're a lot. We get a lot of stuff like that. We get stuff like that from Catawba, too.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and we did the same thing in Catawba. We had their um, tap takeover, and they took a chance. They gave us uh, a six-tool of their like super exclusive CLT beer, which is a IPA from um, Charlotte for uh, Charlotte City Airport. Yeah. The airport specifically contracts Catawba to brew it just Mm -hmm. to serve in the airport bars. And so, but of course it's still Catawba's beer, so they they can send it where they want to, as long as they can meet the quota for the airport, right? So we had their tap takeover. Our beer manager managed to convince them to send us a six-stool of it because we get so much from them anyways. It kicked in like five hours. The rep left after doing like the tap takeover tastings or whatever, which is only like a three-hour stint. Two hours later he gets a phone call. Hey, CLT's kit. When can we get it again? <laughs> He's like, No way. And then he sent him a picture of the empty keg. <clears throat>
0: um,
1: so they sent us they sent it to us again, sold out in another the day. Then they sent us a half barrel and that sold out in four days. So they were like, you know what? Well here. This beer's never been out of the um, Never been out of the uh, bar or the distillery. It's the Blueberry Half Advising. Mm-hmm. They sent mm-hmm. us a half barrel up front.
0: Is that the one I tried?
1: No. Uh-huh. You haven't been in since we put this up. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, but you should come in for it. It's so good. $2 oh. off Monday. By the way, probably going to be off tomorrow. I'm going to hit up my co-worker and be like, yo, I'm sure you could probably use the hours after being out of town for a week. Please take my chip. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Bro, yeah closing six days Ha. Oh. yeah that sucks what time do you get out when you close like 1, 12 11 one. or 12 well, no. if I'm closing by myself and yes. it's
1: slow I can do a lot I can close that start closing in the first 15 minutes before, like right after last call mm-hmm. and I'll get out and it'll still take me an hour to do it all because I have to do all the cleaning and I don't skip out of my job just because it's convenient. Um, right. <laughs> um, mostly because I've been, I was drinking there as a customer for so long before I started working at the bar. Yeah. <clears throat> and so I'm like, I don't want my beer to taste like shit or to taste like the beer that was on there before. Um, so I clean the mess out the lines, uh, you know, I try and run a little extra cleaner through it then might be necessary for that specific type of beer. Um, And um if we have to acid wash the line we'll do that. And if we have to replace the lines we'll do that. We're in the process right now. We've just re-cleaned all the tap heads. There's like six more we have to do. But they got done last month as well. So we gotta clean six more tap heads um and then we're gonna clean the couplers. It's yeah, so much. It like, sucks. It's so much maintenance work. I mean, 20, we have 42 taps. Ha ha, there's your hint. Um, and so, I mean, just doing 20 tap heads in a day is pretty good.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but then, of course, that, like, messes up the pressure in the lines. And so, like, then all the beers are a little foamy. Yeah. And <laughs> they're bitch to pour. Anyway, so. But does that even out after a while? Oh, yeah. And, you know, yeah. after about. Two or three pints. Yeah, it'll 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 repressurize and back into the like, the whole line will get reset basically. Yeah, and based off of whatever the pressure is in the keg, kind of thing, and the gas.
0: Dude, yeah. you should totally get with Greg, and both of y'all should put together like a <laughs> people's master class on bartending. Because <laughs> like from this one episode, you can get like a first day of training for a bartending job on all the things you just explained. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, yeah, if we could get Greg on the podcast, we'd be right but The crazy thing is, bartending is not, is not that hard. <clears throat> Even dealing with, like, the mixed drinks thing, like, most... most bars have a recipe book tucked behind the bar because they're almost always training a bar back or a part-timer.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so the recipe book is almost... the cheat sheet's almost always there. So, if you don't know what's in a section of beach or a cosmo, you can, like, flip through, find it. Bada big, bada boom. And then that, the speed, that kind of thing, comes with time. And same thing for, like, pouring a craft beer or pouring a beer in general off the tap. It comes with time. Sounds you
0: can, like you said pouring. No, I'm <laughs> <sorry>. <laughs> He said pouring. That's just his southern accent. Sorry. Um, <clears throat> my
1: voice is also. It's like that meme really I sent you...
0: <laughs> is,
1: you hear how groggy my voice
0: is compared to like every all the other times we talk? Like this is like uh, ridiculous. Anyways. It's like that meme I sent you. Hold on, I'm trying to look for where the, it said. The truth to bartending those to clean as you go. <laughs> right. Clean up behind yourself as you
1: go. Because you don't want it to have to like sit there and scrub sticky beer stains off of metal when you're trying to close and get out. Um I guess if you're like, if you just like cleaning your passion in life, <laughs> let me know. I'll let you come clean the bar. Um, but so the speed and everything like that, the technique, it just comes with time. And you're not going to get that until you get behind the bar. Yeah. So and that's the trick about the service industry, your restaurant business. It's finding a place that's willing to give you the time to get good, to yeah. work with you and go. Yeah, we'll take a chance on you being here a year, maybe three, maybe five years. You know? Yeah. And we'll train you up. And that's hard to do, especially for bartenders because bartenders are so fleeting. Yeah. Mostly because there's not a bartenders union. Hashtag unions, hashtag fuck corporations.
0: There we go. (laughs) Um,
1: Same thing in like beer reps and sales reps in uh, Mm. the micro industry, they bounce around a lot. Yeah. Staff bartenders and the craft beer tap room industry bounce around a lot. You know, because there's no standardized expectation of of work. You know, there's the health regulations you have to meet for your license, you know, carding, ALE regulations, that kind of thing, but there's no industry regulation or understanding in the South. Because most states don't allow for formalization of unions, which of course will only happen when people form unions regardless of the law. Well,
0: do you think there's a way to probably reform the way that unions work within unions? I just... Yeah, so because the, so, yes, Because bartending, forming a bartender's union so would probably be awesome for but bartenders. Very difficult. very difficult. Awesome for bartenders. So here's the problem with unions, right? But... Mm-hmm. No, no, no. Look, look. awesome for bartenders, but probably not awesome for some bartenders and probably not awesome for the culture of bartending.
1: So, okay, we're going to unpack all of that. Okay.
0: Like, do you understand what I'm saying? What I'm saying is bartending. I understand what
1: you're saying, but here's the thing. So unions are a double-edged sword, right? Especially in things, in in an industry that's not entirely skill-based. Right, It's it's not a high-capacity skill like train engineering or chemical engineering or um, building cars, right? It's bartending. It's restaurants, serving tables. It's driving around in a car and delivering or a truck and delivering beer, right? There's not a lot there that somebody off the street couldn't learn in a week and have some modicum of efficiency at it, right? And so creating a union around it is really hard because part of a union's job is to get a company to agree to adhere to certain standards because if they don't, their bottom line will suffer, right? That's always like, no matter how friendly the relationship is, there's always a power status going, if you screw the workers, the workers are going to screw your bottom line. You know, we might build up bills and debt, but, you know, we can always file for bankruptcy and get it forgiven. Your business will literally just go out of business, right? That's always like the give and take in with a union in the industry. But in this, in the service industry, it's so easy to train people to wait tables, to pour beer to clean, right? Who can't handle clean? I mean, it's not hard, right? So, the other thing, then, though, is, like, quality of a person, quality of a character and a person, you know, do your customers get along with him? Are your customers going, are your regulars who spend 50, 60, 100, 150 bucks in your bar a week are they going to come to your bar every day? Or are they going to come on certain days because they don't like one of your bartenders and they just haven't told you? Right? So, these, those are some like the personable factors that go into the union, but the main problem is that there's not really a whole lot of guarantee of work, right? I mean... How do you get people to just agree? Right? Go, you know what, if you're suffering, we're both living paycheck to paycheck, but if you're suffering, I'll give you part of my paycheck. You know, because my boss is pro labor union and your boss isn't, and they're not gonna they're not giving you as many shifts and stuff. So I'll look out for you so that you can continue to support the, the union effort, right? <laughs> That's really hard to do, especially in such a low paying industry, you know, to say, I'm going to share my tips with you that I used to pay my phone bill or I used to put gas in my car so I can get to work. That's a big deal. So unless you have that, that money pit, that backup, you know, people willing to spread the love around, it's hard to just say, all right, now we're a union and we're going to like hold out and we're going to go on strike and hold out until the law is changed that's how that's basically how unions get formed out of in a in a place where it doesn't allow allow unions. Group of workers gets together, holds the bottom line down for the businesses until the businesses go, Okay, we get it. But if you can't do that, there's not a whole lot of incentive for the businesses to come to the table. And even if you are doing that, there's still not a whole lot of incentive because there are a bunch of high schoolers out there, a bunch of college kids out there who are eager just to work for three fifty an hour plus tips, just so they can afford beer money. Yeah. You know? So, then a company would much rather have 10 part-time workers and one full-time worker and only have to pay one person benefits than have five full-time workers and have to pay them benefits. True. So, that's, so that makes it even harder, especially in, a really, in an industry that really doesn't require a whole lot to get started in. You know? It's not like you're in a cop in a union or a lawyer's union where you have to go through years of training and investment and it, and, serve, and then you serve a fundamental functioning purpose in society.
0: Trying to think. Okay, so New York like, City I can brew way. my own
1: beer and serve it out of the back of my house. It'd right. be against the law, but I could do it. Right. It doesn't take. I mean, the beer might taste like shit, or I might just stick with simple stuff.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, it doesn't take a whole lot of skill per se, unless you're trying to get fancy with it. But when you're making money, it's not about being fancy; it's about being a crowd pleaser. Right. So, it's hard to just go. We're gonna like. should it's nice to say there should be a a labor union to stabilize the the job market around the industry, especially the micro-industry, so they can grow and compete with macro beer. And then micro-breweries don't have to get bought out as much, right? Then Wicked Weed doesn't have to take the buyout. And, you know, Stone doesn't have to expand into four or five different states and squeeze the market in those states. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's nice to say that, but I mean, to make it so when there's no legal law protecting the, the workers or the microbrew industry, you know, because big beer is like, no, we don't want that law to exist because if you stabilize the microbrew industry, big beer is going to go under in heartbeat. Mm-hmm. Because even microbreweries do the big beer stuff better. And by big beer, I mean like Budweiser, Icehouse, right? These beers are actual beer styles. They're not just like crap beer. They're based predominantly on German style recipes for like a Pilsner or Kulsch or a um, lager. Um, And so basically what they do is they super sterilize it, right? They send it through this filtration process they call sterilization where they, they take out all the extra. From the beer at the end of the process all that extra esters whatever gets left over and they make it super crystal clear right you can see your fingers through the glass if you hold it up to the light it's a nice golden pretty beer and it's done that way so for quality control right they want every single can to taste just the way it did before it cultivates this feeling of nostalgia and consistency right in a world that's so inconsistent, a world that's so up and down, your beer's always gonna taste the same. It's a comfort. The same way your coffee, you want your coffee a certain way. That's all fine. You love
0: inconsistent coffee
1: though. <laughs> no, you don't. No one loves inconsistent coffee. Okay. Um, but so even microbrews do those styles better. Right? There's better pilsners out there in the microbrew industry than Budweiser. It's the same style of beer. It's going to have a similar taste profile, but it's still just going to taste better. Same thing for out of Banks Brewing, shout out. Fabulous culture. Long Rock Brewing here in North Carolina, shout out. Fabulous culture. That shit sells out like hotcakes. Okay? That shit's way better than what you get in a 24-pack. Okay? That's all I'm saying. So, if there was any stability in the market, like in the industry, in terms of cooperation from the brewers and the workers and the reps you know yeah. to meet that minimum demand Big Beer would go under I'm sure
0: mm-hmm.
1: they'd suffer so much Because and then again with that stability that guarantee certain level of functionality and a certain level of a bottom line then it becomes easier to make money and Becomes easier to franchise, reproduce, expand. And because you can do all that, then your beer prices come down, right? Number one complaint with craft beer is that it's fucking expensive.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, if you stabilize that market, it becomes less expensive. Then you expand, you invest in your own grow fields for your own grains, your own products, right? Your own blueberry field, your own um, citrus field, right? For your beer. You can you can do that if your market's stable enough to go. This is how much money we're projected to make. microbrewer industry can't really do that because it fluctuates so much, and there's mm-hmm. not enough legal litigation. There's not enough legal law protecting their stability the same way there is big beer. I mean, there's limitations on the advertisements of microbrewing,
0: mm.
1: and it severely limits them in compared to big beer. Right? Big Beer is guaranteed a certain amount of advertising space. That's ridiculous. Aren't we in a free market system? What is that shit about? Why is that a law? That's bullshit. Right. But again, it's somebody who owns a business protecting their business,
0: right? Right. Well, what I'm thinking about is in New York City, they have like the MTA, right? Mm-hmm. And they have a union. But the thing is like transit runs twenty four hours. Another thing I'm thinking about is we're here I also mean, politics. Disappear, also politics plays a part because mm-hmm. we live in the South which like half of half of the day, half of the week, half of the month really, if you add it all up, we don't sell beer or alcohol period. So yeah. we have yeah, less of a market. Sundays, yeah. We have less of a market because of that. Because I think from like two a.m. to eleven a.m. you can't even sell alcohol.
1: That's on the <coughs> Saturday and Sunday. Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, but bars aren't old. even but bars aren't even open though.
1: Yeah. So like, most
0: bars aren't open.
1: from... Most like, restaurants aren't open that early, um, unless they're doing breakfast and lunch, or maybe they do breakfast and then they close and do dinner. But yeah, no. Most right. So you're missing open until four.
0: Right, so you're missing a huge part of the market, yeah. which is not as profitable as other markets that are unionized. So when I think about yeah, I mean, unionization... All, and, so the, and so again, that right.
1: gets back to the laws of, on, the, in, on the industry, like these old Bible Belt laws that restrict <clears throat> when the ABC store can be open and restrict when you can buy and sell alcohol, right? You there. There's an argument that you can make about like the moral, the fa- the moral fabric or whatever. But honestly, if if the South is gonna get into like those markets and eventually recreational drug markets, those laws have got to go. Um, they're old laws. They need to be rewritten or taken off the books entirely. But again, that's where the stabilization in the industry comes from. If the microbrew owners can send their beer ambassadors, which are basically representatives of the company who spend time lobbying for the company, not right. Who spend time lobbying for the company, meeting with politicians and lawmakers and advertising agencies, right? Beer ambassadors. If they can if microbrewers can send their beer ambassadors with a fleet with a package of data, like metadata that says, this is how much we make quarterly, this is how much we make da 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 and say this is how much we're projected to grow, this is how much we can expand in the next year, and every microbrewery can do that, or most microbreweries can do that, then lawmakers would be incentivized to make a bill. Because they have the safety net of going, this isn't going to screw up my campaign, this isn't going to screw up my my. Fundraising. Right. Right? But they don't have that because it's such a fluctuating industry. So, um, you know, I think right now I was just talking to a guy who used to work for Stone. Shout out to uh, Mr. Ricks. Um, And we were talking about, like, the cost and like, micro versus macro. His perspective on it was basically that nothing's really micro anymore. Right? Mm. Which and that's not to say your local breweries aren't like small businesses because they are but microbrewing has blown up so much across the country the buy-in cost to the industry right the cost to start up your own microbrewery at capacity to like be functional is 2 million
0: <clears throat>
1: right that's like just to start you know so and, and I mean, that's just to get it off the ground. That doesn't account for the first six months. You know? Yeah. Um, that's no guarantee that you're going to make it five years or the first year. So, again, if you have stabilized projections, it's easier for people to go to the banks. Right. This is what the industry looks like. And these are the laws in the in the areas that are stable. And this is the projected growth in this area because these areas around it these microbreweries in this area make X amount of money. I'm trying to get a slice of that pie. This is what the numbers look like. It's easier to go to a bank and get a fucking business loan that way. It's easier for the financial systems that underpin our society to back up people. When there's stability in the in the workplace.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But part of it is big beer doesn't want that. Because microbrewers is just better quality beer. And I get people every week, people like, eh, is it, is it not? It fucking is. I get people every fucking day of the week, there's at least one, comes into the bar, says, you know what? <clears throat> I'm out here with my friends, but I don't typically drink crap beer, I don't know anything. I go, what do you typically drink? Or they come up to me and they go, what do you have that's like a Budweiser or a Michelob or... Kind of of and there's and there's a joke, there's a running joke in of the microbrew industry that you know when somebody asks you that you point to the water bucket, <laughs> right? Sorry, <laughs> big beer, but that's because culture it's not. Kilsner. Yeah, it's a yeah. culture of pilsner. That's where you take them, you know. Or like a super light lager, like yeah. shout out to Bull Durham, Bull City Baby. They make a really good light ale. They call Bull Durham Light Ale. That shit gets crushed nice it's so crushable dude you can find it on three dollar pours at some bars because they sell so much of it
0: yeah
1: that's what i'm talking about that's how low your microbrew industry can cost it can cost the same as big beer yeah when you have the fucking stability there
0: yeah
1: right now if you go outside of durham and get the bull durham light ale that shit's probably going to be like five six seven bucks Mm -hmm. right take your ass to your local watering hole in durham that shit's three bucks yeah shout out to roots and Juan and his family go see him um (laughs) makes the best money to observe um you know so it's possible i've seen it but you gotta have this ability to say this is how much we're gonna make and we can afford to sell it at this rate because we're gonna cover this volume and this is how much we're gonna make on the volume we move and it's just hard for microbreweries to do that. It's hard for microbreweries as a business on paper to go to the banks and say, we need another loan for an expansion. Yeah, we're still like $25,000 or 50000 in debt on this other loan, but this is our projected growth rate. It's hard for them to do that. They right. can, they can use their personal information, right? They can go, this is what our, no- our numbers have been for the last five years. We're ready to expand. But because the industry is unstable, the business and the bank goes, the underwriter goes, well, the industry's blown up a lot and there's a lot more competition now than when you started five years ago. So we don't think it's safe to give you the same amount or a larger amount of money based on these numbers. For that amount of money, you need to produce a greater percentage or whatever, right? And then they lowball your loan. That's hard. But if you have stability, if you have sales reps that have routes that they run and they're not worried, they're not as worried, I should say, about making the numbers to meet their commissions, to pay their bills. You have bartenders who know those reps on a personal level who can call them up on their cell phone in the off hours and be like, hey, man, you didn't come into the bar today. What's up? Did you break down? What's going on? Be Like, no, I made my numbers already. Here, call the other guy. He's going to have something similar for you, right? That kind of collaboration across the industry stabilizes it. But it's Mm -hmm. not going to happen unless the laws are there. And the laws aren't going to be there unless the financial institutions look at the paperwork in the industry for the states and go, they're stable enough for us to back this kind of thing, Mm -hmm. right? It's all like this tic-tac-toe domino thing. And it's really hard to do that, but it starts with the union. It starts with the people who work in it, in that, in that industry, going, we're going to make a fucking agreement not to screw each other over. Right. right? We're going to set ourselves a certain amount of regulation, a certain amount of sales, a certain amount of growth percentage for everybody who exists right now. <clears throat> and then we're going to offer that stability to other people who want to join in. Right? They opt into the union. Great. They don't opt into the union. They don't get the guaranteed stability. They get the, uh, a stamp on the file says non-union. So it's not as stable as a bet to bet on them. Okay. Fine. That's their choice. But if you have that, it opens up a vast, vast market. and Which is why you see big beer companies buy out Small microbreweries. That's why Big Beer bought out Wicked Weed up Mm -hmm. in Nashville because they were one of the biggest microbrewery distillers in North Carolina, if not the biggest. And they were doing amazing stuff in general on just basic stuff like their IPAs were good. Their seasonal stuff was amazing. And they were experimenting with sours and their sours were real good. But sours cost a lot to make at that quality, which is why they took the buyout. They wanted yeah. in to increase their production and, you know, I get that. Can't fault them in. Um, and to, into their credit, um, Big Beard did not come into Wicked Weeds. Um, they, they didn't come onto their turf and go, okay, you're going to totally stop what you're doing and do it this way. They're like, no, just, you've got a recipe for success we're going to give you the money to expand it as long as you keep to your recipe. Mm -hmm. So we're not getting as much new stuff or experimental stuff from Wicked Weed, but we're still getting all the good stuff. We're getting pernicious. Pernicious is you throw a stone and it'll bounce off three bars. that has pernicious for four or five bucks.
0: Mm. Mm
1: -hmm. Three years ago, that was like $7 IPA. That, I mean, there's no getting around it. Um, the price on their bottles of sours at bottle shops have gone down by like three, four bucks. Yeah. Now they're like 13, 14, 15 instead of 18, 19, 20. I'll take it. You know, at some point you got to grow. You hit a cap, you hit a certain cap at some point. Right. So I get it. But for the, for the rest of us still involved in the microbrew world, there's not enough stability to reach that level. You know, yeah, there you can do it. Stone's done it. Stone's out of uh, Portland, or not Portland, but they're out of Oregon, and they've got four or five different branches in different states, so they qualify as local beer in like five different states. That's big beer, dude. Like, it's not going to be a popular opinion, but I mean, I talked to one of the brewmasters or former brewmasters myself. He's like, no, nah, it's big beer, dudes. There's, they've got five different places. Like, that's not micro anymore.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You're going to the financial institutions on Wall Street and going, hey, what do you think about us going public? Mm-hmm. That, I mean, that, you're in five different states.
0: Yeah.
1: That's crazy. Right,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right. Um, Sierra Nevada is the same way. They're technically considered local. They opened up a bottling uh, or distribution center here. Now they don't have to pay import tax. Right. If the beer is bottled here, it's not import, I believe. If I'm wrong on that, somebody listening, if you're like way more into the legal side of that, let me know about distribution. But I'm pretty sure if it's bottled here, if you have a distribution factor in here and you say this is where it's going to, it's going to our facility in your state, before it gets sent out to market, I don't think you pay an import tax on it. Right. Okay. That's crazy. Because, again, that's... Mm-hmm taking money away from the financial institutions and they're going, no, you're trying to shirk us. You know, you're trying to, which, I mean, they are, because they don't want to pay the taxes on it, because there's no guarantee of success.
0: Although
1: mm-hmm. oh, Sierra Nevada does really good stuff. They do. That Ultra Vez.
0: Yeah, half their stuff I don't know. to try but That Ultra Vez. Do, 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 that they prickly do. pear beer. Yeah. Um, who would have thought a cactus would taste good? <laughs> I don't. I haven't had that. I don't. Yes, I don't you know. have. To, I have. Yeah. Heard, oh. That was one of the first craft beers I had you try that you really really liked. And it was good. <laughs> then the cactus yeah. tastes good.
1: Yeah. But um, yeah. So that's that's my general take on it. There just needs to be a lot of work done, and I would like for there to be a workers union, a sales rep, uh, microbrew union kind of thing. But you know. It's hard for microbrewers to get behind it and go, I'm going to guarantee my sales rep X amount of money regardless of commission or regardless of sales because they can't guarantee how much they're going to grow. And they can't guarantee a contract because they don't know how well that rep's going to do because there's no specific network for them. I mean, they have a list of places they go. Yeah. And they have a list of places that they would like to have their beer in and they go to those places and try and make a sale. Right. Make a sale. Don't make a sale. Did you waste your time there? You know, yeah. you can spend 30 minutes to an hour sometimes in a bar waiting in line on yeah. that because other beer reps are there, <laughs> you know? So it's really hard. And, um, you know, if you have this ability, say this is our, network over here these are bars that we're all going to hit this is this network over here and bars and microbrews that are going to be rotating through kind of thing that stabilizes the market enough to make better projections and make better estimations of growth um, but doing that takes a lot of metadata and it takes a lot of hard work and it takes guarantee of like legal protection like what's the point of all of this if the state itself isn't going to support the small business owners in the market industry, right? You know, so it's on the politicians and the financial institutions to facilitate it, but they're already getting a lot of money from big beer distribution.
0: So, well, there we go. Let's uh, let's take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about extremism. Ooh, so stick around. Now a we break, we just want to remind you guys if you want to donate to the podcast, you can do so by donating on the Cash App at Money Sign A Space Podcast. That is Money Sign A Space Podcast. Also, follow us on social media channels at A Space on Twitter and Instagram. You'll probably be able to find us on YouTube. No videos up yet. We'll be coming at that soon. All right. We're back. All right. Um, action item number... I don't know what action item number it is at the moment. But another action item. We are to look up, do breweries collect information on consumers? Because we know how, like, Target collects information on consumers mm-hmm. and sends out stuff like that. I want to know if breweries mm-hmm. do the same thing. So that's another action item. But what we're going to get into next is... um. I had shared something on our social media channel some comments that Ben Shapiro had made on um, on let me let me get to it here hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. bear with me so we were talking
1: earlier uh, in the week about whether or not we wanted to cover this and um, the dialogue was interesting I got it right here yeah. we were uh, it was one of the few times we weren't really split on our perspective of it. We we understood sort of where both
0: sides were coming from, logically, but at the mm-hmm. same time we were like, Well, we kinda fall on this side of the coin. Right. So let let's let's talk that out. Let's let's see if that's actually is true. So and and now let's go yeah. through it. So he, there was a tweet that said, um, note when Iranians chant death to America death to Israel. They are not calling for deaths of people, but empire and imperialism. And then it says hashtag cultural competency. And Ben Shapiro made a statement that said this may be the single stupidest comment ever written. And under it there's some comments that say no, it's actually not the original person who made the tweet was entirely correct. Um there was a bit of other trolling and uh then there was a comment that says that the original poster is right. If they were calling for the death of Israelis or Americans, they would chant death to Americans or death to Israelis. They're calling for the death of nations, not the death of citizens. Surely smart guy conservative Ben Shapiro take some shots at Ben Shapiro. Can wrap his brain around that. And then somebody else said, so by that logic, when hijackers... Flew airplanes into the Twin Towers. They just wanted to take down a country and imperialism. They didn't think an actual... Hold on. They didn't think any actual people would be hurt. Good to know. So. And you can hear my son there in the background. <laughs> Hold on.
1: Yeah, so. While... Wow. I can see where both comments are coming from I've had this debate and this argument, um, particularly in education and the amount of reading and studying I've done on colonialism across the globe, whether it's Britain in America or Britain in India or Portugal, Spain, what have you. There is this concept that at some level you can separate the nation state from the people. And so you can say, we want a death to this, the way of life in which you're operating currently, right? So we want we want death to colonialism. We want death to um, slavery or apartheid. We want to end this discrimination. We want to kill it off, right? And while that's a sweet sentiment, um, anybody who is... Studied this long enough will understand the hardest thing in the world for you to kill is the idea of something, right? A philosophical or ideological principle that underpins the fundamental way of life for a country at any given time in history, right? Why did it take so long in slavery? Why did it take so long to grant India their freedom after slavery, um, that kind of stuff. And a part of it is just the ideological underpinnings that go into the mental framework and shaping of generations. Other parts of it are just... that... you know, when the comment says they're not meaning when they when they're shouting death to a country they're meaning death to, to the imperialism right that imperialism is not <clears throat> some existential thing there are people with their feet on the ground executing those quote unquote imperialistic principles and orders of operation that create and build that system of imperialism right that didn't just happen People aren't just like, oh, I'm just here doing my day-to-day thing, and, you know, I think it's perfectly normal, right? Those people are fu- that are enforcing the imperialism are functioning under that principle. So to, in order to get rid of it, you have to either change that person's ways or you have to get rid of that person, which is where revolution tends to come in because most often in cases of subjugation or colonization or imperialism, whichever lens you want to look at it through the person who controls the colony who controls the people considers either themselves superior or they consider their um, gains from that condition from that expansion that control more important to their survival than a cooperative relationship with said people right so if you can't change the person, and you can't change the people, you can't get rid of that imperialistic, colonizer mindset, it inevitably leads to revolution, because people only take so much like, kicking before they stand up and fight back. But, that leads a lot of blood on the ground, and it leaves a lot of people hurt, injured, there's a lot of loss of life. People feel wronged on both sides. Some people feel it's justified revenge. Some people feel like they're owed a debt of blood for all the sweat and sacrifice taken from them. And it creates this cycle of take and take and take, which as uh some would say, an eye for an eye leaves the whole world blind. Um That might be true. But, you know, that means revenge is a two-way street, and it should be. If you're going to go out into somebody's life, mess it up, rip it apart, take from them, you should expect them to do the same. And if you're okay with that, then you're okay with that. But if you want to go into somebody's life, rip it apart, and then be surprised, or pretend to be surprised that they don't appreciate it, That's ignorance, and that's foolish, and frankly, it's just dumb.
0: Okay. And I think
1: that comment, you know, that comment gives a lot of leeway to the person shouting death to whatever country, right? What do you mean? So the comment that says, when they're... When they're shouting death to America, they're not Mm -hmm. meaning death to Americans. They're meaning imperialism. That comment, it grants a huge grain of salt to the person shouting it, assuming that they understand the context of what that means. You're assuming that person doesn't mean death to Americans. But did you talk to that person? Right. Right? Did you talk to that person and see if they're delineating between people? And ideas or not, because at some point you can't have a nation state, you can't have a country without the people who form around that idea of that country. Right? Yeah. Americans are American because we form around our Constitution and our civil rights and our freedoms. The same way, people of other countries are citizens of those countries because they believe being a citizen there is a is a good thing, or that. They were born there and they're trying to change it into what they want it to be, right? So at some point, people, as we were discussing earlier in the week, people are the state and the state is run by people. I mean, yes, um, some level, especially in democratic society, the people, the heads of state who are making decisions that the whole country, every citizen gets framed for, right? when we start a regime change war, right, America, Americans at large in the U.S. get framed in that light across the globe, right, even though it's a select few people making the decision to start that, okay? But at some point, if you're going to say that's a bad decision, we need to stop this regime change war, this imperialism, right, and you're trying to make amends, and you go, well, this person who started this war ineptly and falsely needs to pay, it's still a citizen of your country paying that price. So the citizens are still paying the price for terrible choices, even if it is the citizen that made the choice. Right? So you can't... And this is my point. It's tying back the fact that people live out the ideas that they follow. So when you're trying to get rid of an idea... You have to change a person or get rid of them. And nine times out of ten, you can't get rid of an idea. Because it moves from one person to the next. Just in conversation. Right? At some point, somewhere in your life, everyone's gone. If you would just let me be in charge, I could fix it. I have a way to fix it. I can do it if you just give me the power. And I'll do it right. Everybody does it. Whether you're driving down the highway... Whether you're in the coffee shop and there's somebody in front of you who doesn't know how to make the order work. Whatever. Everybody has that impulse at some point. To say that you're just going to get rid of it, it's a lot harder to do. And it's a lot easier to get rid of people. Unfortunately. Um, So that comment, that gives a huge caveat to to that random person shouting, Death to whoever. On the other side, it's you can't just get rid of an idea. You can't get just get rid of an establishment. I don't think there's been a single I can't think of a single time in history where a controlling body, a controlling country, ever peacefully granted freedom to the to a country they control I mean America still controls Guam large part of the Philippines um and other territories um I guess I mean I don't I can't think of one can you was there a single colony that was granted its freedom peacefully I mean you can
0: argue Hawaii and Puerto Rico you can argue I don't think you did that I don't think you could argue Hawaii, though.
1: Mm. Not if you look at the history and the context of what mm. went down there. I don't think that would work. Yeah. I mean, the Dole family buying out, sending in missionaries to convert the the indigenous, and then failing to. And then, the second they become part of the Union, Hawaii but becomes the a state. Sweet, they, Isn't mm, that
0: peaceful? I don't know about that, man. Well, that's a whole nother argument. I mean, so, you have to yeah, make it yeah,
1: into the record of like, how much life or how many lives were lost when the Dole family right. just immediately bought up all the property that the indigenous people lived on.
0: Right. Okay, so the, so that's your take. Let me, let me take a few minutes. And enjoy that Dole pineapple. And, and give you mine. Yeah. Um, so, immediately when I read this comment, flooded with, like, like it does every time, it just flooded me with like both sides, and I can't really say that I can take a stance on either side on the issue. I think that's the amazing thing about this podcast is that a lot of people will listen, and you'll definitely be on one side, and we'll definitely have other people listening who will definitely be on the other side, and that's perfectly fine. We want people of all walks of life to come together and talk about these issues. Um, so for me, I think uh, that it's very. First of all, let's start from, I guess, some would say from the top of the issue down. I believe it's from the bottom. The issue up is let's talk about the relationship between, like you said, the person and the state, right? Mm-hmm. Let's question the person's relationship to the state or the state's relationship to the person. Like, we all know how our society is organized where here in America we live in a democracy so like you're you're represented to an extent <laughs> in your government right um by a representative. So in a way you pay taxes, you do jury duty, you elect your official, like you are part of America, you're part of your state. So that's how we know how society works on paper, but like when you think about feeling, like, do you feel like you're a part of your state, or do you feel like you're a part of your country, or then let's take it to a spiritual level, like, do you, are you a part of your state? Right.
1: Like,
0: are you producing? No, I'm just like, are you producing for it? Like, are you producing for it mentally, emotionally, like, mm. physically, like... Like is it in? is it a part of you? Are you a part of it? So that's the first thing that, that came to mind. The second thing is um is it coming from a place of emotion or is it coming from a place of action? So like when like in activism like I sometimes I wonder is the chance in the streets coming from a place of emotion or a place of action? Because Occupy Wall Street was a lot of emotion. There was definitely a very small action contingency that was probably, if it wasn't there, the Occupy movement wouldn't have been as big as it was. But there was a small part of action. But a lot of things, a lot of issues, when we talk about issues, period. When we talk about issues, political, social media issues, like like makeup artists who have issues, like issues, period, issues, period. There's gonna be a lot of people who flock to an issue just to talk about the issue, and then there's people who want who who just who want to be there. There's a very when we talk about really big issues. There's a very small set of people who are actually going to be action-based about the issue, and then there's a lot of conversation. There's just a lot of people in the weeds in the conversation. Mm. So, what I was thinking about was: is that comment an action comment, or is that comment uh, a comment that's coming <clears throat> from a place of of just emotion? So, mm. relationship. Let's talk. You can say intent. And then the second thing is how it's received, right? Because when you talk about how you convey information, how you package that information is key. And I feel like that's the war that we're having right now with the two political parties and also with like this new center that's rising, that's probably not on either side of the coin Mm -hmm. is how do we package our language, which some would argue like Jordan Peterson, I don't have to package my language. And then some who are on the left say, you kind of do have to package your language because you have to think about how other people feel and how it impacts other people's lives. And then you have the right who say, Mm, you don't really gotta package your language, but look, you kind of have to think about how it's gonna affect your money, how it's gonna affect the political part. Like, there's just there's a caveat to every sort of political lane when we talk about how you package your language. So when I looked at this comment, I was like, how is this language packaged? And is it? Pa- and right now, what we deal with with trolls and what we deal with with information wars is we deal with um, how information is packaged and if it's packaged for the intent that it's packaged for or if we unwrap this gift, will there be something under it that was unexpected that we didn't know, right? So right now, our big thing with Donald Trump right now is like, in his language, with his call with the Ukrainian president, Mm -hmm. is that language packaged and when we go inside that gift, is that going to be, like, is the gift going to be matched to matched wrapping? Fuck or no. is the wrapping different from the gift that's inside? And that's the issue that we're having with, like, what I call the information wars right now is that, like, we don't know with this whole troll culture whether or not, like, well, that that's why wrapping to, matches the inside, right? Right, but that's why it's called trust but verify. Exactly. Right. So, Whatever, thing side of, the, right. whatever side of the
1: argument you fall on or any argument, you know, whether it be political or whatever, trust but verify. Do your homework, man. Like, yeah, trust your local news. Trust whatever side that you, you know, find yourself being aligned with. Trust the people giving you that information to an extent, right? Until you get verification. And right? if you're, like, look, mm-hmm. let me go. Google it. We all got a smartphone, or if you don't have a smartphone, there's a public laptop or computer at your library. Go down. Just take ten minutes. If it, if you if you care that much, take ten minutes. If you care enough to post about it, to respond to a public entity, to a public uh, profile, and getting a Twitter war, getting a comment section, take time and verify before you go shouting out in the middle of a public square, okay? Right. No one wants to be out there looking like an idiot. No one wants to get fired over something they said on social media that they thought was true but wasn't, okay? Mm-hmm. This the, the world you live in today, people, is, is drastically different. I know a lot of you are aware of that, but your public presence on social media is treated like a second job. It is, because. Yeah. You're out there publicly. Which
0: is the problem with the information wars, man. Is that like so many people. When you you jump into the public square,
1: (laughs) you know, it's just like if you went to your local town hall meeting about uh, um, raising the noise ordinance level on the weekend, which most people don't want. Right. They want it set to a certain level, kept under so they can get their sleep, whatever. It's the same thing. If you go to that town hall and you say something that's blatantly untrue, no one's going to listen to you yeah they're gonna ask you to leave probably if you say something offensive whatever social media is the same white people so you gotta be careful out here just jumping in and out of comment sections because what you put out there unlike in a town hall is out there forever on the internet yeah there's somebody out there that's gonna be able to date a mind back and find it okay Mm -hmm. so trust but verify and i know it's annoying but if you care enough to comment Fucking verify. Exactly. Be your own be your own best friend, okay? I mean, because if everybody... When your boss gives right. you that paycheck, you don't just drop that shit in. You look at your hours, you look at your taxes. Right. All right. Your boss doesn't give you your pay stub. You're like, boss, where's my pay stub? I need it for my records. Mm-hmm. Trust but verify.
0: Right. But, and that's, that's the thing. I don't mean to toot my own horn, but I feel like if everybody kind of looked at every info like every single tweet i, I can't <laughs> I can't trust everybody to just look at I mean all right if we look at every piece of information that we get in the news okay if we take it and analyze it how have analyzed this where you just analyze it from different so what i said was when i saw this what i did was i looked at the relationship between the person who's making the comment and the state they're commenting about, I'm looking at their intent, right? Mm-hmm. Like what what are their intentions? But I'm also looking at how it's packaged. Like like I feel like in that moment with that polit- specific issue, those are the three ways that I'm looking at it, right? Okay. And when I look at it from that way, I can find valid points from both sides. But that's where we kind of have to get on the ground, and we have to. Have people interact and speak on both sides and kind of get mm-hmm. a sense from where everybody's at. Yeah, and
1: well, that's where you need rationality and you need people. Right. People's too generic. You need somebody that, well, people work. You need a group of people talking about a conversation mm-hmm. in a calm enough manner that people feel like you care about the issue. But you're trying to work towards a problem rather than jump into a bullpen like you are in politics and the media here in the Mm -hmm. States and see who can shout the loudest. Right. And I understand. Yeah, true. They want passion in the voice. They want to see that you care about the conversation in the public areas. But at the same time, you—if ha- you just—if it's a screaming match, you're not gonna make any progress, and the people affected by it on exactly. a day-to-day basis are still gonna be living with that misery right. until eventually it boils over, and there's a catalyst or a conflict that causes a revolutionary state of mind to take hold. Of.
0: And I think, now looking at it from those points, I think the one thing that I would criticize is probably like the way it's packaged. Mm-hmm. like because I mean that's when I looked at about. when I looked at this tweet initially, my first thing was with organizing with people who are um anti-fascist like like anti-colonialist mm-hmm. like they don't necessarily have this death to America mindset. But I can totally understand where the sentiment comes from, where people, where they say, like, this means that I'm not going against the person, I'm going against the state. There there are people out here in America, they're not going against military veterans, they're not going against, like, politicians that are trying to do good, but they are going against the people who support and directly involve themselves in oppressing other people right and the argument is made is are those people that they're going against a part of the machine because most times you'll find that if like grassroots organizing is going against a person that's because the person is the machine or the persons are the machine, right. right? And this is where we get into. So then, so my thing is, is like I can totally understand where it comes from, where one could argue that I'm not going against the people. I'm going against the state, because sometimes when you go against oppressive states, you find that the states that are pressing are made up of people. a small, a small minority of people. Right,
1: But those people are still the citizens of that country, and those people still embody those ideas, and most likely they're not going to change those ideas. Their ideology is not going to be swapped up for a a, a two-way street version of the golden rule, where you treat people the way you want to be treated or doing to others as you would have them doing to you. And there's an argument to be back and forth about how, you know, absolute power
0: is absolutely corrupting or whatever, but... Exactly, because my my thing, that that's true because my next thing would probably be that how could you expect for both sides to come to the table to talk about an issue when one is an oppressive force and another is a voice trying to be raised up from out of the mud? Mm Mm-hmm. And in order for your voice coming out of the mud to even be heard you kind of have to calm yourself like you're already passionate because you're not getting what you rightfully deserve mm-hmm. but then to be told by the establishment okay to listen to you you're gonna have to calm down a little bit like um, yeah. Like, it's very so important. to juxtapose it's my previous thing. comment like yeah, saying death to America is, like, kind of too extreme, but that then when you go to, like, if America's going into countries and killing people, and literally probably killing people by the actions that they do, is saying death to America extreme? And why should you... Right, so this is... Why should you lower yourself, like, on the whole, like, Audre Lord like, kind of, like, take that take that passion and that fire and use it Mm -hmm. so i can the thing is when you look at this rationally you find that like you can't really fault either side for it it's kind of have kind of have to work this work itself out and you know the fires and cooling of life I guess
1: (laughs) well I mean again it's people and ideas and how do you root out a bad idea Um, a lot of it should be you bring in that person with their flawed ideology and you show them that they're wrong you by actions by real world consequences you show them that they're wrong but the problem is with really extreme ideology, people who fundamentally follow extreme ism of whatever ideology, whether it's a military imperialism or religious doc- indoctrination or absolute, you know, um, absence of any faith in anything, you know, um, it's so t- the, there's nine times out of ten there's been a critical failure in their life where those principles or the the principles you're trying to cooperative, help each other um, community principles failed them in a very critical way for that person right? Mm -hmm. And so they they default to well if I've been let down by when I was trying to engage in the community as a good faith act or whatever, then I'm just not going to waste my time doing it anymore because I can't get through. And I'm going to take the extreme route because I can't get through trying to do it the kind of way, I guess, or the going through a body of people for help. Um, and to some extent... You know, at some point you gotta go, I can't rely on a whole bunch of other people to help me. I gotta do this on my own. The problem is, when you start running roughshod over people to get what you think is correct or morally right done, right? Like when you want to do what's best for your country or whatever, and then you start taking extreme actions in other countries or in your own country, you take extreme acts on people that you believe are failing to live up to your to your standards for your country that level of extremism begins the road of vengeance right it, it's the beginning of it and the herald to it is usually the herald to it, the road of vengeance is usually a critical failure in somebody's life where they feel dejected from the community that they were told to put their faith in, right? They're told, put your faith in the system, use the system to create change, you know, don't go out and protest and start, you know, a civil disobedience movement, that kind of thing. You're told not to do that. You're told fit into the system. And yet nine times out of 10, the system won't give you the change you need. And those Big circumstances. I mean, you look at Jim Crow and the Black Power Movement, the Black Panther Movement. You look at the Civil Rights Movement and the sit-ins and the marches. That's all civil disobedience. That's not fitting into the community. That's not relying on the system to change itself, right? You're forcing it out of the system. You're purging, or at least trying to purge the, the ideology out That's oppressive. Right. Extremism is the flip side to that. Right. And when people get into power, like serious power with the ability to command physical acts of force, which usually means violence, not always, but usually results in violence and physical damage to people and property. When people with extreme beliefs get into those positions, it's a really slippery slope, and you're basically praying or hoping that they're, they don't see your your slice of of land or wherever you are in your country as a problem area. Otherwise, you're going to end up with boots on the ground in your area, um, and so we have that. That herald, that critical failure as the heralding moment for revenge or extremism, right, all of a sudden the floodgates open. Because that person is so emotionally invested in their extremism that they will not let it go. It is a fundamental foundational cornerstone to how they interpret and view the world, right? It's a mental health attachment. Even if you put the science in front of them, if you put the historical record in front of them and show them that extremism and violence doesn't historically work, and it only leads down a road of revenge and revolution and bloodshed, they will still hold on to it and go, you're just soft. You don't know what you're talking about. I'm different. I believe in myself. And it's like, yeah, every other radical dictator believed in, this, in themselves, too. Uh-huh. And they believe themselves right. And they did what they thought was best, and yet there's a tidal wave of bloodshed left in every dictatorship, every tyranny, every colonialist campaign or imperialistic campaign. There's a tidal wave of bloodshed. But it doesn't matter when you're that invested. It doesn't. When you're that invested into something that's your emotional building blocks to interpret the world around you, it almost never is changeable. Right? By outside factor, you have to change. You have to look at it and then admit to yourself that you're wrong. And that's almost never going to happen, especially if somebody's trying to force you to sit down and look at mm-hmm. it. Right? It's supposed to come from the introspective look, not somebody going, you're so stupid. Look at the historical precedent. Look at the math. Look at the numbers. It's not going to work. Mm-hmm. No one wants to hear that, especially after they feel like they've been ejected from the community, and left behind. Right? So, when you have that as a road for revenge, it's almost impossible to come back. And then you're just on a two-way street for revenge, which, again, there are times in the world where you have to get what's yours, and if the system's not going to do it, you have to step outside of the system. I don't like to say it, but historical precedent has shown us that. Yeah. You know, it it happened in World War One, World War Two, the Civil War, Revolutionary War, the Civil yep. Rights movements. It happens. Eventually, the system fails. Your system in your area will fail. And it's a moral and ethical judgment you have to make. Each individual has to make their mark in the, in the dirt and say, this is it. I'm done. This is where I'm going to change it myself.
0: You, kn- you you know what I think we're about to enter and call me on it when we have because I'm pretty sure we will we're about to enter a phase where we're gonna have a major thought renaissance because I think we're realizing that we need it war and conflict doesn't work to make change
1: yeah
0: what we need to change is we need to change the isms and aries and The ologies, ologies and we just need to have a thought renaissance and Change the mindset. Change the mindset, and everything else will come after. Because that's when I'm I'm reading this tweet, and I'm that's that that what I just said is the thought that I had is that like we just need this thought renaissance. Because Mm -hmm. as much as I like Ben Shapiro, he's biased, right? So you have extremely, and as much as I like Jordan Peterson, we see in the news that having that type of mental fortitude he used to have and having that type of analysis of the human experience, how to bring yourself self up out of chaos and order that chaos has shown <clears throat> that that takes a toll on the mind and the body. Oh
1: yeah.
0: And to do you that while right to do that while dealing with your own personal problems, like for us to make this podcast and talk about this stuff while dealing with our life. I'm pretty sure it takes a toll on you the same way it takes a toll on me. You understand mm. what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, th- that thing
1: about um, interaction, especially like for me in the podcast, it's very almost therapeutic. Yeah. Right, because it's a slice of time we carve out, and even after we carve it out, we juggle it around. Right. So we're like, yeah, we're already drawing a line in the sand and going, "This is our this is our time," and then we're still making a concession on it. Yeah, multiple times a week. That irritates the piss out of me. (laughs) Like, yeah, that makes me want to scream and rip a wall out. Okay, like, God, it irritates me. Mm You put in all this time and all this effort, especially for me, because I'm always trying to facilitate my family dichotomy and create more my family relationships and help out as much as I can. Mm-hmm. Because that's important to me. Like that's for me, that's a fundamental thing. And I like to walk my walk. I like right. to walk my talk, son. I don't I'm not trying to sit up here and just say family's everything and not do shit for my family. Right. And so when I make and I go, This is like the block in the week I gotta mm-hmm. have. And then it's like shit comes up and they're like, No, I really need your help. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, and you know sometimes it's a last minute thing and they really do need my help and i go yeah. and i think it through i'm like is there any other way we can move this that's or, life where, man. where yeah. what where's all the extra extra time in the week can we move this can it wait is there any way i cannot bump the podcast and usually there's no way Like yeah. you know yeah. like this week there was no way right to avoid bumping it um but it's still just grain, that, that little grain of sand in my eye in the week. I'm <laughs> like, ooh, all I want to do is squeeze right. the world like a pinhead and pop it. <laughs> and be like, get out of here. Yeah. Go away. You know, this is almost, this is a window of escape that I, that really does help. Versus like temporary stuff like video games or reading a book and engaging in critiquing the book, or whatever, and trying to distract myself from the stress and the pressure. Right. Whereas this is like, that's like a, a putting a, a cap on a seal. Right? right. Whereas this is like letting out the pressure. Exactly. And there's a, then for everybody listening out there, I'm sure everybody's figured it out on some level, but to, just to say it clearly, I'm okay with the two-way road of revenge. Yeah. I'm not going to go down a road for revenge and pretend that the per- the people on that road are going to roll over for me. Yeah. Right At that point, I understand I'm making an executive choice on my own to step into extremism, to demand and take what I want. And I expect people to return in kind when I come into their life my own selfish needs if I'm ripping their life up I expect conflict right? mm-hmm. don't go down the road of revenge and pretend like you're right and you're morally justified you might be ethically and morally justified to yourself right but if it's 9 times out of 10 the road of revenge is not a 1 to 1 ratio by the time you get your revenge you'll have caused 10 times the damage that was caused to you Right, but that's the problem Right, that's what creates the cycle and I'm okay with that because if you rip something that I value that much out of my life you better run to heaven's gates because I'm coming for your ass <laughs> yeah. there's no place I don't care no. um, and there are very few things that I feel that passionately about mm-hmm. family is one of them don't fuck with my family You don't want to do that. True. But so, in saying that, you know, I have to keep a balance. Everybody's got to keep a balance between that level of extremism and your red lines, right? The point is to balance the world so that it doesn't cross your red line. You don't end up on the road to revenge. The point is to find your escapism that you can fit into your schedule every week so you don't lose your mind. So that you can understand somebody. When they jump into a Twitter comment section on something that you posted on. Right. And you don't lash out at them and get yourself fired from your job.
0: Some people just need to get that Captain America treatment and go get that life, people. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah,
1: here's a serum to make right. all your ailments go away. I mean, just by like, the way, you're going to have to fight a war, but you'll no. But
0: what I meant by that is that I think people just don't have enough hobbies, man. Or they don't have a hobby <laughs> period. Or they don't have interest like people just don't have in or don't develop anything. You know? Or they just don't have like the commitment to
1: True. so that's the other thing. Like you have to be committed to your escape, right? Like we were just talking yeah. about for the podcast. You gotta be committed to it. And right. no matter what happens, at the end of the week you gotta fit it in. Yeah. Because it's important to your health. Right. It facilitates your well being, your mental health, reduces your stress. Reduced stress keeps you healthier longer, makes you less susceptible to getting cold, having to call out of work, makes you less likely to miss work. If you're less likely to miss work, you're less likely to get fired, you're more productive. Right? This is a domino effect that we're talking about here, people, that eventually, if you don't control it, manage it properly, it leads to extremism and revenge. Right. And extremism in the world always, always leads to tyranny. Right. And dictatorship. So... Find your balance, folks. Find something and just be committed to it. You know, don't be like, well, I couldn't spend, you know, I couldn't spend my three hours on my PS4, so I'm just going to go out to the bar and drink. Don't do that. That's not substituting a secondary thing for what you really want to do is not good. Right. It's not good enough. Right. Just like playing video games for me is not going to substitute doing a podcast. Okay. It's just not. True. Seeing my family is the best thing substituting chat with friends on discord is not going to make that any better right you know
0: and unless the people from discord are you the a slack chat or they're your family or we come with the podcast into the Discord. discord <laughs> <laughs> well i have
1: uh all my friends on my discord are in <laughs> are tied into my di- my personal Discord channel, yeah. and they're welcome to post there and stuff like that. But they just don't.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. You usually just rotate rotate around to whoever's room is most active. But anyways, it's really just you got to find your 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 thing that keeps you calm, and you got to find time to fit it in, even if it's the next even if it's sunday 6 a.m right just do it because if you don't do it you're going to hate yourself for it later and it's going to sit like a chip on your shoulder and fester and then you're going to be more resentful it's going to be easier for you to just hate people when you hear them say things that you don't agree with right it's going to make it easier for you to just tell to let yourself slide down that road Exactly. And you don't want to end up being an, the extremist. It's not
0: good. Right. Well, we started this podcast at 6.30. It is now around the 10 a.m. mark, man. You want to Ooh. wrap it up? Let's wrap it up. You want to give a few lasting words? Um, Tell people to get that balance. Get that, get that balance. Get that
1: yeah, like get me, i ready to go back and get my other three hours of sleep. <laughs> oh, but I can't because then it'll be one o'clock and not too much stuff for eBay. Oh, it's fine. I'll just be hopped up on. I know I literally just said don't do this, but I'm just going to be hopped up on coffee and room all day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go home and fill up a flask ticket to the, I get to do this because I run my own eBay stuff. So yeah. and it's a family thing. So I'm not working with anybody that, if I hurt, would not forget me. <laughs> um, but uh, don't drink on your
0: job unless your job is drinking, in which case enjoy it. Um, unless you're a CEO at a large company, then you get an office with a bar. Uh, yeah, that's hilarious. <laughs> 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 Always in moderation. <laughs> right. Um,
1: but, um, yeah, so I'm not gonna be able to, I'm not gonna have to go through this whole day and, like,
0: two hours of sleep. Well, oh, man, I wish you luck. <laughs> what is that that they do in the Hunger games? Put the three fingers up? Oh my god, <laughs> You just <start> that up. <laughs> there we go. It's four now. Jesus Christ. It's not hard. My lips are wet. Now that I'm mine, I've been chugging coffee all morning. <laughs> I'm so fucking tired. All right,
1: thank you guys for uh, listening. Thanks, guys, for listening. Catch us at A Space Podcast on Twitter or A Space on Twitter and Instagram, yeah. um, YouTube. Um, we're probably not going to bother monetizing YouTube, so don't feel bad about not having an ad blocker or having an ad blocker on. Um, you can catch us on Stitcher, Spotify. On Heart Radio. Radio. We just submitted it to iTunes for review. Mm-hmm. So hopefully
0: we'll catch on there. Google Play Store. Google Play Store. First episode. Only first episode. And shout out to SoundCloud. Shout out to SoundCloud <laughs> where you only get 90 minutes of audio until you have to pay them to get more. And they know oh, we're not going to talk about that. But first episode is uh, up on uh, SoundCloud. Uh, That's the first episode. It's 57 minutes. Okay. But you know, we're, we're gonna talk about that later. Oh man, we're gonna talk about that. Yeah, well, no, we're I'm gonna talk about that right now. Actually, Okay, talk SoundCloud <laughs> knows that they podcasting is like the next, like the thing right now. Right,
1: especially long.
0: Right, which
1: but averages like an hour and a half to two hours. Which exactly, is
0: the sweet mark. But we know that hip hop has went from four minute, three minute songs, probably five minute, three to five minute songs. Down to about two to three minute songs because that's what streaming service is like. Mm -hmm. Because the more streams you can get, the shorter your song is, the more streaming you can get. Right. So, SoundCloud, that's where SoundCloud birthed that movement of like Mm -hmm. streaming music, right? Mm -hmm. There's a whole section of hip hop which is SoundCloud rappers.
1: Oh,
0: yeah. So, but SoundCloud knows that podcasting. I'm pretty is, sure that's where uh, League of Legends got their uh, rappers from. Right. For the opening, because they had some whack ass But my um, thing is, Sa- SoundCloud knows that podcasting is coming to the platform, and they still treat that pa- platform as if the artists and podcasters are one and the same thing. Like, like SoundCloud still makes it so that like you only get 90 minutes. So to our artist, that's great because that's still 60 songs. Mm -hmm. But when we have a long-form podcast like this, it's like one podcast or two podcasts, right? So then, from there, you have to pay money to get more time and um, shout out the SoundCloud. (laughs) So it's kind of crazy. But yeah. So first episode is up on SoundCloud. And if you'd like to donate... You can do so at Money Sign A Space Podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can also email aspacepodcast at gmail.com too. Yeah, please like,
1: share, or dislike. Interaction helps in general. Like or dislike, comment, share it, rip it apart with your friends, engage in the conversation. You know, that's what we're here for. We just want you guys to be thinking about these things and be conscious out here in the world. So when you Did step you out. Stay you, woke? No, stay conscious. <laughs> Jesus fuck. <laughs> stay conscious and engage critically. Don't sit there and expect the answers. Trust but verify. That includes us. Trust us. <laughs> <laughs> On
0: that note, we're we'll leaving. Goodbye. <laughs>